Well, listen, I hope you all are having a, <clears throat> a good new year. We've got a lot of things coming up here in the life of our church. It's going to be really good, and it's going to be really exciting. And you're going to see what those things are. We have a <clears throat> business meeting next week. A lot of those things will be disclosed at the business meeting. So make, uh, make plans, if you will. I know when you hear the word business meeting, there's a lot of things that just doesn't really come to the forefront of being exciting. But uh, that will be a, uh, a good time for you to find out what's happening here at the church. Now, <clears throat> a little while back, we started a series on the parables of Jesus. And the reason for the parables of Jesus is because when Jesus told stories, he told the stories with the idea of selling or, or sending a spiritual truth uh, and done in a story so that we could relate to it. Uh, we started the, uh, the, the study on the parables, and then we ran into a lot of things affiliated with the holidays. So we've been off of that. So as we're starting off this new year, we're going to be in the middle of another parable, but it is a really good parable. It's a parable that applies to you and to me. And it's definitely a good parable to reflect on as you're starting over a new year. And a lot of times when you think of the new year, you enter into those, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to change this. I mean, some of y'all, you might have already given up on your, I'm going to get fit, I'm going to work out, and maybe five days into it you change your mind. But the point is, it's a good time to have a New Year's resolution. And this parable here today really goes a long way in that, that frame uh, of thinking. Uh, it's a two-part series on this parable because there's just way too much stuff. And I don't want to fly through it, and then we miss out on all the things that God wants to say to us. So it'll be this week and next week. But we're going to begin looking at the parable of the seed and the sower. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bibles. But a lot of the scriptures that we're going to see today, you will see up on the screen as well. So, let me read you the parable first, and we'll just jump right into it, okay? It says, On that day, Jesus went out of the house, and he was sitting by the sea. And great multitudes gathered to him, so that he got into a boat... And he sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road. And the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no death of soil. They did not have much soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then it says this in verse 10. And the disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And the reason why they asked Jesus this is because no one could understand what he was saying. 
what did all these things mean? So they were wondering, why are you speaking in a way that no one understands what you're saying? And Jesus said in verse 11, he said, and he answered and said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's important, that phrase, mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. You'll see why. He says, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they will not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they do see, and your ears, because they do hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. Now Jesus is telling the disciple, this is what, here's the answers, here's the insight of what I just said that no one understands, but I'm going to let you 12 know what I meant by this parable. So Jesus right now is telling the disciples, you want to know what I just said? Here it is. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places? This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but he is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, well, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil This is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. And we'll just stop right there. Lots going on in this parable uh, right here. Now, I want you to understand the setting that was taking place at that day when Jesus gave this parable. When Jesus told this parable, it wasn't just something, oh, I I think I'm going to tell him this today. Everything he did this day, it was very calculated. Everything. He had a point in what he was doing, and every single thing he said here, he was going somewhere with it. The people didn't know what, where he was going or why he was doing what he was doing, but there was a reason. 
every single thing that he just said, there was a reason. Now, did you know that in Matthew uh, chapter 13, we find eight different parables? There are eight parables in Matthew chapter 13 alone. All eight of these parables, they share the same theme, the kingdom of heaven. Remember, I told you, keep that in mind when Jesus, because he alludes to that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, a number of times, and there's a reason for it. The kingdom parables, and that's what I'm going to call these, because that's what they are, uh, <clears throat> they're different from one another, all eight. They're different from one another in that they stress different aspects of God's kingdom. Uh, the kingdom parables are strongly Jewish in nature. And that is important to remember too. Some of these parables focus on the king only. Uh, some of the uh, parables concentrate on the subjects of the king. Others will accent the king's realm where he lives. Uh, some of the parables defines the king's character. You want to know what the king is like? Here's what the king is like. And some of the parables simply combined a combination of all these things together, but there were eight. Now, keep this in mind. Many people in Jesus' day, they were expecting the Messiah. You hear rumors about the Messiah. Now, the church today, universally speaking, uh, preaches and and talks about the day in which Jesus is going to come back. That's the return of the Messiah. Now, the people of his day, they were ready for the Messiah, or so they thought. Um, they believed that when the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would literally destroy the Romans because they were extremely oppressive to everyone that was non-Roman. And so in their minds, when the Messiah does come, he's going to come as a conquering king, a conquering Messiah. And he's going to drive out and away the Romans. He's going to crush them. And then he's going to establish Judaism in its rightful place as the government of the world. This is what they thought. This is exactly what they thought. The people of Israel, that is the Jewish people, they had a mentality of what the Messiah was going to do, how he was going to act, how he was going to think, what he was going to say, and all of those things. Sadly, for many, many years, God had tried to reach his people, the Israelites, 4,000, 4,000 years. God tried to speak to his people. He sent them prophets, and he sent them teachers, and largely they were uh, not, no, uh, the people did not believe them. The people argued with them. Some were killed. Most were mistreated. And these, this was from the Jewish people. 4,000 years. And we know that. You can look up any book in the Old Testament and you can read about that. Um, God's message through those prophets and through those teachers for those 4,000 years, all the way up until this one day when Jesus starts to speak on this parable, 
Everything led up into that one day. God had a message, and he was trying to reach the people. But the people would have none of it. They rejected the prophets. They rejected Jesus. The Bible says he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. And the first 12 chapters, you read in Matthew, he's being run out of cities, stoned, ridiculed, rebuked. No one accepted or believed in anything Jesus had to say. He was constantly challenged. And that's the background. That's important to remember. God, at this moment right here, had a change. 4,000 years in the making, and that day, there was a change. God was to deliver a message that they would never forget. Israel's probation, if you want to look at it that way, Israel's probation had ended in failure, and now a change was about to be implemented. And Jesus was the one who was going to make that change. And this is important to understand. I said a few minutes ago, that this parable was not given at the spur of the moment. It was calculated. It was planned. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what he was doing. And now he is about to change the mark of humanity, and he's going to open up a new course of history in regards to God's kingdom that we read about and how God now will relate to the people of this world. A radical radical twist is about to take place and it is occurring because of the disobedience and the unfaithfulness and the hardened hearts of the people of that day the jews literally had rejected the king and now the king is rejecting them the author of the heavenly kingdom of israel on earth as a nation has been withdrawn and God's changing course. Now, if we are to understand the dealings with Israel here in this chapter, we need to understand first that there's two different and distinct periods of time in Israel's history. Now, the minute you hear that, if you're not a history person, don't check out on me because this is pretty cool stuff. This is really interesting, and this involves you, and it involves me. So if there's any interest here, hang in there on this, because this involves all of us in this room right here. God decided to withdraw his plans by setting up the Jewish nation to rule. And he is, a na he is now about to introduce to them and to us the mystery of the kingdom. Remember, there was a reason why he talked to the people in parables that day. Now, Jesus is going to spell out to us the mystery of the kingdom. This is something so secret, and it is so surprising that you won't even read a hint of it in the entire Old Testament. All 39 books of the Old Testament, the writers of these books, had no clue what was about to happen. But God knew. And you begin to see some elements within the New Testament of this realization of 
what God is now going to do. And I think it's worth noting, since we're here today, Red Baptist Church, January 5th, 2020, it's a new year, a new decade, a new, all that stuff. Here's what you need to keep in mind. That change that God started 2,000, 20 years ago, whatever, it involves you and it involves me because it was at this moment right here God turned his back on the Jews as being the, the, the nation that he was going to establish the kingdom and he wanted to work through his chosen people, but they rejected him. And so now he's going to introduce that new concept that had never taken place before, which is called the church. There's a reason why you don't read. We don't read about churches in the Old Testament. They didn't exist. There was not a point nor a purpose for the church to exist. There were the synagogues. Today, it is the church. God is about to introduce something completely and totally foreign. You know what that is? It's the church. You're the church. You're the church. If you take away this building but yet you still come together once a week to fellowship, to pray together, to confess sins, whatever. Do what you need to do to, to get yourself more in, in line to serving and walking with God. You're the church. And the church is now being established. There are two passages of Scripture that I'd like for you to see that have to do with this radical turn of events as Jesus is giving this parable. Now, the first one was written by Paul to the believers in Rome. And here's what I just want you to catch is you begin to see this change in the Bible as Paul is starting to line out this mystery of the kingdom. And that's interesting because you're the mystery. You could literally turn to the person next to you and say, you know, you're, my, you're really mysterious. We are. You are part of, a secret, of that secret plan that God was introducing. You are. There's two scriptures that we begin to see this play out. You'll see the first one up on the screen. In Romans 16, 25 through 26, Paul told the believers at the church of Rome, he said, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus, according to, here we go, the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. But now it is being manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, who has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. And it just goes on and on, and he just goes real deep. The part I want you to connect to, the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages past. Yeah, 4,000 years ages past. How about this one? You'll see it up on the screen too. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 2 through 5. We read these words. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, there we go again, 
As I wrote before in brief, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Both of these passages that we see refer to what we now know as the church age. Right now, we are living in this period of time that the Bible identifies as the church age. That's where we are today, 2020. We're in the church age. I mentioned there were two periods in Israel's history. Okay? The first one has to do, and here's, here's how it's defined. The first one has to do with the times of the Gentiles. Now, that's a title. That's you and that's me. That's Tracy. That's Ernestine. It's Wayne. It's Sarah. It's Karen. It's Amos. It's Christy. The times of the Gentiles. Look at this on the screen. It says in Luke 21, 24... And they will fall by the edge of the sword, and they will be led captive unto, the, unto all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the, quote, times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now that's a scary portion right there, but the, the, the key there is there is that period of time known as the times of the Gentiles. We are Gentiles uh, other than maybe a Texan or wherever you're from, we're Gentiles. That's how the Bible describes us. And there is a time, a period of time, when the Gentiles are going to rule. That is, and when I mean rule, what I mean by rule is by saying God's going to be moving through them and directing them, guiding them, and thus the times of the Gentiles are at hand, so to speak, all right? And this period, the times of the Gentiles, this period marks Israel's loss of political ascendancy over the nations. During this period, all world power is in the hands of Gentiles. The period began with Nebuchadnezzar, and it will end with the reign of the Antichrist. The times of the Gentiles will be terminated when Jesus returns at Armageddon, at which point he will set up the millennial kingdom in Jerusalem and all that stuff. The kingdom is now officially postponed by Christ because of Jewish unbelief. Now that second period of time, there's the times of the Gentiles in Luke 21 through 24. That second period is known as the fullness of, the fullness of the Gentiles. In Romans eleven twenty five, and you will read these words. Paul said, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And know why it's important to remember that partial hardening of Israel? That's what got them in trouble in the first place. Because they were so obstinate. Because they were so unfaithful. 
because they were so disobedient to doing the things that God wanted them to do, you know what God did? He turned his back and he went in another direction. Y'all, that is exactly what God still does today. He's, the Bible tells us, my spirit will not always strive with man. We think we can play with sin and God will just look away because we will do that many a times. God takes sin really serious. And because we will uh, many times uh, remain in this state of disobedience and doing the things we shouldn't be doing and, and all that, what we don't realize is we are gambling with what God will and can do in our lives, and God forbid that he should ever turn his back and walk away on us. Well, that's what happened here when Jesus drew that line in this parable and said, things are changing as of today. Now, the fullness of the Gentiles, when did that begin? That began at Pentecost, the fullness of the Gentiles. And when will that end? That will end at the rapture. At the rapture. At that moment, the custodianship of God's truth is entrusted to the church, which is predominantly Gentile in character. That's who we are. But after the rapture occurs, God is going to restore the religious ascendancy to the Jews. Remember this, the revivals that we read in the Apocalypse, in the book of Revelation, it's all, it's all Jewish. It's all Jewish. When God says He will one day turn back to the Jews to establish his covenant promise, he's going to do just that. But at that time, we're gone. We're out of here. Uh, just as the final return of Christ uh, begins to reign, God's going to restore the political ascendancy to the Jews. So here are these two periods of time. Now you're thinking, Ed, did you just chase a rabbit with all this stuff? No. Because when you look at what Jesus is doing right here, y'all, he has changed the course of everything that has been happening for a long, long time. Why? Because the people wouldn't listen. And they not only wouldn't listen, they would harden their hearts and do what they wanted to do. Now, we see Christ turning away from the Jews because of the habitual unbelief, and he establishes his plan to open up the possibilities for the Gentiles to be the recipients of God's grace. And through them, by creating this thing that we call the church. We saw this when he covered, remember when we covered the parable? It's been, I guess, a month ago or so now. It's the parable of the, of the wedding feast. Remember when we did that? That's this right here. Everything I've just said summed up. That's what the, the, this is. That's in Matthew chapter 22. Here in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom is the theme of the mystery parables, even though they cover the parallels of the church age. See, the church is involved in the parables. And these parables is the church. Up until then, you don't see the church. But right now, the church is involved because the church age and this age of the kingdom, they now overlap. God is making them overlap. In a, in, in a coming day, 
the kingdom will manifest itself in two realms, heaven and earth. The church will reign in the heavenlies. Israel will reign on earth. This is, gets into the rapture and, and all of that stuff. These mystery parables that we're going to see here show how things are developing right now during the time of the king's absence. We can't walk out these doors and see Jesus. There's coming a day when he comes here to establish his millennial reign. They will. But the church will be out. We'll be raptured. We'll be gone. And that's where we are today in 2020. For 2,000 years, we have been operating in the king's absence. But he is coming back. And it is going to happen. It will happen. And now that you know the background to this parable, we can get into the parable. And the reason why I wanted you to see this stuff is because I want you to try to realize what a shift of change and purpose Jesus is now doing with the people. Let's say we were all Jews, and it's 2,000 years ago, we're very radical in that we are so to our faith. We believe that this Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to kick tail. He's going to not take names or prisoners and he's going to drive the Romans out. And he's just going to, it's just going to be a complete pounding. And that's what we think. And Jesus shows up and that's not his plan and that's not... That's never been his plan. And here we are, and this is what we think. And no matter what he says, we don't want to hear it. Why? Because we know what we think. And so this, was, this spirit, this tone, this unfaithfulness was so strong that on this day, Jesus said, that's it. That is scary. That verse, my spirit will not always strive with man, that is scary too. And that's what he did. And all those people who thought they were all with God, and they were all walking with God, hey, we're all going to go to heaven, right? We're all going to go to heaven. Nope. Nope, not going to happen. Why? Because they would not listen. They hardened their hearts. I'm going to do it my way. And it's really no different than what we see today. People reject Christianity. They reject Jesus. Oh, I don't believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, they would say. There's a lot of ways to get to heaven. Well, you see, that's according to you. That's not according to him. And that day, Jesus was making... A change. The moment that he opened his mouth, it is evident now that the character of his teaching was also changing. See, up until here, he didn't do this. He didn't speak in parables. Why? Because he wanted you to hear everything he was saying and what he meant. He wanted it to be crystal clear. But now, since he is turning his back, he's following through with his message... But the Jews won't get it. That is why he had to tell the apostles when the apostles went to him and said, 
why are you teaching this way? What is this? It's because what they didn't realize was at that moment Jesus said, I'm going in another direction. I've had it. I'm done. And I'll be honest with you, I am really glad that happened. Or we wouldn't be here right now. So, God has a plan. He spoke of the kingdom, but it was no longer at hand. And that's important for those of you that read the Bible. They would preach the kingdom of God is at hand, as, uh, as Jesus would say. No longer do you read that at hand. Why? Because he's not going to establish what they wanted. When you think about it, it's interesting that Jesus chose to do a parable regarding the sower and the seed. Because just as considerable time must lapse between seed time and harvest time, so considerable time will lapse, must lapse, before the kingdom now will be visible. You see how those two begin to go together? That's interesting to me. The field is now different too. It's no longer Israel. You know who it is now? It's the world. It's the world that God is shooting after right now. Jesus changes his teaching to teach the people in parables in order to conceal truth as much as he is revealing truth. And those are two really good points. He would, he would explain the, the meaning of the parables to his disciples. But blindness and understanding would fall on Israel because the Lord had closed the door. It's worth noting that the emphasis begins on the sower in this parable. Who is the sower? Well, fortunately for us, uh, we know who the sower is because as you read further into Matthew chapter 13, we discover who the sower is. The sower here is Jesus himself. Uh, and it, it says in verse 3, the sower began to sow. Now, you know why even Jesus chose to do a parable on a, a, a sower and the seed? Because the vast majority of the people he was talking to, they were farmers. So Jesus is wanting to tell them a parable, which is a heavenly truth, but done uh, in a story-type uh, manner, and he's doing it to farmers. So he's going to use uh, the symbol here, seeds, uh, the kingdom, uh, who's going, who's not, in the form of a parable. What do we know about the sower? What do we know? Number one, we know that he is sowing everywhere he went. When Jesus went to the uh, Samaritans, he sowed the seed. Remember, Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Major, major discrimination. They would not, had nothing to do. Didn't stop Jesus. He sowed seed to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to Gentiles, to Romans, to Samaritans. What do we know about the sower? He was sowing seed everywhere he went. Second, he is generous and he is extravagant. There is no one too far removed that cannot receive the grace of God. 
It doesn't matter the list of sins and areas that you've messed up in. You can never mess up so much that you run out of God's love. God loves you. And people in your life many a times will screw up. And they'll set a really bad example of what love is. That's not God. That's not God. He is generous. Three, we see that he is throwing seed everywhere. Sowing plentifully everywhere. And you know what? On that note, if you aim at nothing, you're going to be sure to hit it every single time. The sower is aiming at everyone. God is not slow concerning His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all come to repentance. God's heart is that He wants everyone to hear. He wants everyone to respond. We know not everyone will respond. But He is sowing His message out everywhere. Number four, there's no seed shortage There's not going to be a lack of seed for others to feast upon and grow and live. It's abundant. Five, where it lands when he sows the seed, where it lands doesn't matter to him. It doesn't matter to him. He's just sowing the seed. It's going out. His concern is to get enough seed out there so that there will be a bountiful harvest. And we read that in Matthew 22 on the parable of the, great, uh, of the great feast. Or the parable of the wedding banquet. We've also gone over that one. It's the same thing. It's a bountiful harvest. Think about this. What a harvest is going to be on that day. Did you know what little we know about the next life for those who... For those who have a relationship with Christ and they are in heaven and they are going to be in heaven, what little we know about heaven. Now, there's a lot that we know, but there's, compared to what we don't know, it's no comparison. It's just what we don't know. Did you know that the home described in the book of Revelation, God's house, God's mansion, did you know it's 1,500 miles tall as it is 1,500 miles wide. And you're going to be there. You have a room prepared in this home. When we think of, well, when I go to heaven, well, what does heaven look like? You think you're just bouncing around on clouds, streaming harps? That, to me, is not heaven. That's hell. That's boring. Boring. When we get to heaven, there's going to be a place for you. The Bible says, Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself so that where I am, you will always be with me. Part of your residence is in this house. And it's a big house. It's a big, big house. That's a bit of a song. It goes back for some of the younger people that know that. I'm not going to sing it. What else do we know about the sower? Today... We are sowers. We are. You are. I am. We're to be the sowers today. 
This can be anyone who speaks God's word. If you speak God's word, you're a sower. And God wants you to be a sower. You know, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You'll see this on the screen. You are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Now, what was he sowing, someone might ask? He was sowing the written word of God, which is the Bible, because he is the living word of God. Central to what he is sowing, what is it? It's the good news. You know what the good news is? It's the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus came out of heaven and he came to earth and he lived just like we live. He experienced every single thing that we experience all the time the heartache. The frustration, the loneliness. He was rejected by his family. He knows what it's like to be in need. Everything. He came to earth. And then after he lived among us, he began to reveal to us over a three-year period, he is much more than just a man. He did things only God can do. Why? Because that's exactly who he was. And when he died on that cross, he died... So that he could pay a price that you owe and I owe. But we cannot pay for that price. Why? Because we're sinners. We are born sinners. He was not. And because he died for you on that cross, he took the penalty onto himself so that you don't have to experience that penalty when you die. You are forgiven. That is why when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior in our life, and we just commit our lives to following Jesus, guess what? The Bible says we move from judgment and damnation and to complete forgiveness. When God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. And you would say, but God... Maybe you forgot, I've done this, and I've done this, I've done this. You know what God says? God says, I don't see that. I see Jesus. And because I see Jesus, you can come home. I got a room for you. I'm going to have a job for you. There's a lot I have for you. Why? Because you have Jesus. That's, that's, that's the game changer. This is the reason why Jesus came to earth. You know, this parable right here, the seed and the sower, is told in three of the four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew, it says, Jesus says the seed is the word of the kingdom. That's what we read here. In Mark, we read it's simply the word. And in Luke, it's called the word of God. The word of the kingdom is to follow Jesus. Nothing else. Not a list of rules. This is what you have to do here. This is how you act. Take the Lord's Supper, get baptized. None of that. The word of the kingdom, know what it is? You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. And following Jesus will cause you, it should cause you, to behave differently. Amen? Amen. And isn't it interesting that God's word is compared, God's word, isn't it weird that it's compared to a little tiny old seed? This is 
Jesus starting off the biggest of the parables in Matthew 13, and he compares his word to a little tiny old seed. It's because the word is living and powerful. You'll see this on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Unlike the words of men, the Bible contains words that are alive and has the power to transform lives if taken and applied unlike the words of men the bible contains words of power in life you know warren wearsby stated quote the truth of god must take root in the heart it should be cultivated and when it's cultivated it will bear fruit you want to know what the real mark of a real believer is Someone that produces fruit. You can call yourself a Christian all day long. Many people do. But it's just lip service. It's like a, it's a title. Or it's a, I want to be a member of this club. They don't know. It's a relationship with a person. It's not about religion. It's a relationship. And... Fruit is the one thing that we see. It gives evidence of the validity of a person's faith. So we see in this parable, the sower is going out and he is sowing his seed. He's throwing it all over the ground. Now there's aspects worth noting about the seed as we saw in the life of the sower. And I want to say those real quick. What do we know about the, the seed? Number one, only 25% of the seed sown ends up to be successful. Just 25%. Although God's word is powerful, it's only in seed form. You got to do something with it. If you just have it sitting around your house and you're not reading it or you're not living it or you're not doing what it says, it's not going to do anything for you. It's just in seed form. It's not fully developed. Why? It's just a seed. And within that small seed, all the potential of new life, fruitfulness, and purpose resides because it contains the potential for a new life. As we dive into uh, this parable, we're going to get into the meat of the four different types of soils. Uh, in this parable and we'll look at that next week and as we do of course feel free to read this chapter after today when you go home but here's one thing i want you to keep in mind what is the symbolism of the soil you know what it is it's your heart when you read about the four different types of soil remember there's rocky there's the thorns and Remember, as Jesus, and then at the end, Jesus gave the answers to what those four. When you read those, you're looking at the four different types of people's hearts. You ever looked at someone that knew so much to do what they should be doing, and they went in the complete opposite direction? I do. You're going to read about that here. How about those that will come and they'll hear the gospel and they may even respond to the gospel, but
but they so quickly fade away. You know people like that? I do. You'll find that right here as well. It's important to keep in mind what the soil represents. This week, what I'd like for you to do is take a look at Matthew chapter 13. And as you look at Matthew chapter 13, I want you to read these kingdom parables. And here's one thing I want you to, to keep in mind. When God turned his back, he did so because they were so obstinate. They would not, they would not follow him. They would not believe in him. The biggest, I think the scariest thing that we could ever do as, as just Christians or people, whatever, it would be to, to believe that we can continue to live our lives in such a way as to be a constant mess up and choose to never want to do anything about it. I think that is the scariest thing. You know why? Because God really wants the best for us. I mean, he really, really wants the best for us. So he's going to do a lot of things to get our attention so that we can get right, because the moment you get right, now you're going to really love life, and now you can make an impact on those who are around you. I think the saddest thing is we so much choose so many times to just want to stay in our mess. I think it's because it gets comfortable staying where we are, even if it's a mess but it's what I'm used to. And there is a fear in stepping out of that mess to experience what God really wants you to experience. This passage right here, this parable, the seed and the sower, the reason why I think it is a great message, and especially one for New Year's as we begin to go in this new direction, we need to remember God's word is going out and his desire is that you would hear it, hang on to it, receive it, apply it, and then live it. Why? Because in doing that, God's going to begin doing work in you. And by doing work in you, God is now doing work in those who are around you and they don't have a clue about this seed, this message, this sower. They don't know who Jesus is. We just celebrated his birthday a uh, week or so ago, and now God wants us to begin to grow in what we know about Him. If you're here today, and let's say you're just, you know, life for you has been a struggle, and knowing what it means to walk with Him, I cannot emphasize enough to you today how much Christ loves you, and how much He wants way more for you than you could ever possibly imagine. But what he has given you is a seed. Now, if you're willing to take that seed and bury it in your life, then things are going to begin to happen. And it's those who choose to plant that seed and abide by it and grow and, and nurture it and grow with it. Well, that's why we have church. That's what you do at church. So you can come and learn how to do what you need to be doing or get that word of encouragement if things are just too discouraging for you because of where you're at, what's going on at this place in your life. The most important thing I want to ask you today before we pray is this. What have you done with that seed that has been sown, uh, sown to you? What have you done with it? Do you water it? Do you try to grow 
Or do you just, oh, okay, yeah, I know that, close the book, go away, and you get it out a week later, and you pick back up again. Where are you at spiritually? I would venture to say, every single one of us in this room, if we were asked, wouldn't we all want, to, want this year to be the greatest year of our spiritual growth? I would think everybody would raise their hand. So I'm not going to do that. That's just kind of weird anyway. We know what the answers are. The question is, what are you willing to do to make that happen? And my challenge for you today and this whole week is to focus on the notion that obedience will bring about blessing. And what I mean by that, you know what obedience is? It's just the Bible's way of saying, say yes to God. Just do what God's asking you to do. To be obedient means I'm going to do the right thing. That's what it means. It's just a, it's a weird word that just means I'm going to do what's right. Why? Because God wants me to do what's right. And if I'm going to do what's right, guess what? I'm obedient. And if I'm obedient, I know I'm walking where he wants me to walk. And if I'm walking where he wants me to walk, then he's going to be with me and he's going to bless me. My hope is as we go forward into this new year, Red Baptist Church is going to walk where he wants us to walk and we're going to move where he wants us to move because he's going to do that in our church corporately, but it will never happen until it happens within us individually first. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. <clears throat> God, we want to thank you uh, for all that you have done for us, God, all that you're doing for us, and all that you promise to do within us if we can just set our sights on doing what we're supposed to be doing. God, I want to pray for those in this room right now, and life is tough. And God, I really want to ask that you would bring about a change in their life this year, beginning right now. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them that you would help them to understand what it really means to know you, a real person. Uh, Lord, you're in heaven, but the Bible says you're in this room, for you have told us where two or more are gathered in your name, you would be there in their midst. And Lord, based on that truth alone, Father, you're, you're here in this place right now. We can't see you, but by faith we know you're here. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize the power of the seed that we read. When we open your Bible and we start reading, we're reading all these things that you've just told us. It represents a seed. It's your word, and you will grow these things in our life. But we need to first get into that word. So, Lord, I pray, help us today to want to have a deeper desire to know you. I pray, God, that you would create within us the ability of a want to so that we will. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments before we leave, if there are those, God, who are here today and they need an encouraging word that maybe they'll go to one of the people at the end of the aisles who will be willing to pray for them, that they'll just, uh, just acknowledge what's on their heart and what they need for this new year. God, we just want to ask right now, Lord, that you would move in this place. And we ask, Lord, you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.